I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness, Episode 24. Today, we talk with Dr. Eddie Fatikoff, who will reveal incredible unheard insights of losing weight that your doctor should know about. So stay tuned for another life-changing episode. This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. Well, before we begin, if you could just do me a favor, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today. Rate and review the show for me, and I thank you ahead of time for all of that. And I encourage you to look up my show page on RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. Well, today we have Dr. Eddie Fatikoff, who provides medical and natural care for a broad range of conditions at the Center of Internal and Integrative Medicine. He helps patients discover and address the underlying causes of their health problems so they can achieve optimal health. And as a board-certified physician, Dr. Fatikoff has expertise in both internal and integrative medicine, along with nutrition and the prevention of health problems. He is a weight loss specialist, wellness expert, and nutritionist, and those accreditations, along with his clinical experience, make him an expert in weight management and weight loss. Dr. Fatikoff is a best-selling author of the Doctor's Clinic 30 program, and additionally, he shares his internal and integrative medical knowledge and expertise with others as an assistant professor of clinical medicine at the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta State University. Currently, he is writing his second book about weight loss, which should be available at the time of this uh, episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dr. Eddie Fatikoff. Thank you for coming on to the show today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on your radio show. Yeah, well, let me just kind of, you know, one thing that we hear a lot is people talking about weight loss, and there seems to be tons of experts out there on the subject and so many different types of diets. Now, I just want to kind of start off with this show today and just literally ask you, why are people overweight and obese? It's a great question. It's a question that, you know, I post myself every single day when patients come to the office. There's multiple reasons. One of the reasons is uh, the society we live in, the type of foods we eat, but medications is the biggest risk factor for weight gain. Medications, if a woman's menopausal, hormones, um, hypothyroidism, blood pressure medications, lack of sleep, obstructive sleep apnea. So the list goes on and on, plus the sedentary lifestyle. People uh, don't want to exercise. People aren't moving around like they used to in the 80s and the 90s. Everybody's with technology to make their life easier. But the biggest thing I see in my office where my patients say, wow, I didn't know that. I had a woman last week, she came in, uh, gained 50 pounds. She actually broke her leg because the weight was too much. And so when I looked through her medications, she had 10 medications that were causing weight gain, five of them that caused diabetes, you know? Oh, my gosh. And it's it's medications that, you know, everyday people take. It's over-the-counter medications, too. Perfect example, people take Benadryl. People take... Zyrtec, people take allergy medication, people take blood pressure medication, perfect example, calcium channel blockers, amylodipine, commonly prescribed blood pressure medication, causes weight gain. Beta blockers, commonly prescribed by cardiologists, causes weight gain. Sometimes I even call the cardiologist and say, can I switch to a non-weight loss, can I switch to a weight loss causing medication, can I stop this medication because it's causing weight gain for my patients? And the cardiologists say, yeah, go ahead and do it. They don't know that. They're not trained in that. They're focused in, I have to protect the heart. These are their medications. They're not thinking, I make sure this patient doesn't gain weight. But what they're writing in their notes is patient needs to lose 30 to 40 pounds. 
but they're not knowing that they're contributing to his weight gain by prescribing to the meds that will cause weight gain. And to me, it's mind-blowing. And if I stop these antidepressants or I stop these antihistamines, that the weight just falls off without me doing much intervention. And if I do prescribe medications, they're medications that are favorable for weight loss. You could treat anxiety and depression with medications that cause weight loss. Perfect example would be a Wellbutrin that comes to mind, bupropion. It actually causes weight loss versus weight gain like the other SSRIs do. So the first thing I do when I see a patient in the clinic is to make sure the medications are not causing weight gain. The second thing I do is I address their hormone statuses. People don't realize I have patients, male patients, where they're so obese that their estrogen levels are four, five, six hundred. And so oh at that gosh. point, and their testosterone is 70, 80, which is that of a woman. So it's flipped because of the type of foods they're eating and all the estrogen that build up in their fat cells. So at that point, the approach is, okay, it doesn't matter what I make them do. We have to lower that estrogen. It's not safe. We lower the estrogen and increase the testosterone via natural means. Uh, patients lose weight, and s- simple products like DIM, diendol methane, which is actually made from cruciferous vegetables. I always try to convince my patients, I say, look, you can lower your estrogen by eating two pounds of vegetables, or you could take DIM, and most of them don't want to eat the two pounds of vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean, but you know what, you bring up a very good point about something that a lot of people don't put two and two together, and I want to say a lot of doctors don't put two and two together. So you mentioned that there are high blood pressure medications out there that can literally cause someone to gain weight, which is really kind of strange because weight gain can increase someone's blood pressure naturally, but then they go on a medication to lower the blood pressure, then they start gaining weight even more, which is compounding their problem. Exactly. It's counterintuitive. And the worst one I see is with diabetes. So insulin causes weight gain and stores fat in our body. So when I put my patients on, sometimes I have to put my patients on insulin. I tell them, look, you're going to gain 15, 20 pounds in a week. And then they're they're kind of, you know, in shock because you're saying, doc, I need to lose weight, but you're putting me on insulin to get my blood sugar under control, but I'm going to gain weight. And the reality is yes. But the goal is, and I realize then, don't worry about it. Even with this weight gain, once we get your blood sugars under control, we will do the weight loss process. We will exercise because you don't need insulin when you exercise. We'll adjust your diet plan. We'll work towards it. But it's unfair. So when I hear people say, you know, medication has no role in people's weight loss, it really bothers me because it's not their fault. Sometimes if they're taking insulin or they have rheumatoid arthritis or chronic prednisone, chronic steroid therapy that's causing weight gain, and it's literally not their fault. It's because of a medical condition they have. You know, those people need help. They do need medical help. They do need medications to help them lose the weight loss. They're not trying to gain weight purposely. It's the hormones they're taking that are causing weight gain. Well, how difficult is it for you to treat a patient that comes in? And I'm just going to do a hypothetical patient. Mm -hmm. So let's say we have a woman who is 45 years old. She's diabetic or let's say type 2 diabetes. She takes high blood pressure medication and she has a hypothyroid problem. And uh, maybe her estrogen's uh, slightly off, and she's wanting to feel better and lose weight. I mean, it seems like to me all of her conditions and her medications will continue to make her fat. So with that perfect patient, I'd get blood work to make sure her hormones are good. Do I need to – I had one that was similar to what you just presented, and the only thing was she needed adjustment and increase in her thyroid medication. And the thyroid controls the metabolism, so I adjust her thyroid medication – I adjusted her hormones, whether it's bioidentical, over-the-counter hormones, or supplements, and then we implemented weight loss strategies. And, you know, every patient that comes in here, I used to give this long speech, 
And when the patients come home, they're overwhelmed. They're like, Dr. Batikoff, give us two information. I, I don't know what to do. So now I give them tips. Do these two, three tips every visit, and this will help you lose weight. A perfect example that I gave uh, one of my patients is uh, the new guidelines for water intake came out, Mayo Clinic 2017, 3.5 liters for men, 2.5 liters for female. And that promotes weight loss. And I explained to them, if I were to put you outside for six hours in the in, in the sun, whether you're in Texas or Georgia at 100 degree weather, and I ask you, are you thirsty or are you hungry? Everybody's going to say logically, I'm thirsty. Now, I put you in air conditioning the whole day. And six hours later, I come up to you and I say, are you thirsty or hungry? They're going to say, I'm, I'm going to be hungry, doc. And I said, AC, just having the air conditioning, you prescribe about 500 milliliters, about half a liter. And so in a 12-hour, 24-hour day, you're about a liter down. Wow. And those are the cues that we mistaken because we think we're hungry when in actuality we're thirsty. Then I get, I pose them another question. When you're thirsty, do you feel the thirst? They're like, yeah, I'm thirsty. I'm like, by the time you feel thirsty, you're already down two liters. And so what I explain to them is try drinking two glasses of water. If you're still hungry, that means it's a true craving. It's food. If after two glasses of water, you're satisfied, then it was a thirst. You know, oh. but people are smart. They know if it's the sun, they're going to drink water. Or I say, if your air conditioning is broken in your house, what do you do? Are you worried about food or are you worried about thirst? They say thirst. And I said, what's changed? Nothing's changed. It's just that you know you don't want to get a heat stroke. You've been taught to make sure you have plenty of water intake. You're not even worried about food. So it's just kind of guiding them and educating them. One tip I want you to do is increase your water intake. And people who are actually lean have a higher percentage of total body water, 70%. People who are overweight or obese actually have 50% total body water. So once I put that in their minds, they say, wow, okay, so water is good for weight loss. And I said, yes. And just one simple <laughs> tip, I'm already happy. This I think you just, tip. well, doctor, I think you literally just gave us the tip of the year because that is, it's amazing how simple it is, but, but so profound. I mean, so everyone listening to this program, think about it. If you if you can't tell the difference between thirst and hunger, like the doctor said, drink two glasses of water. If you're still, you know, then if your thirst is quenched, you know you were thirsty. Then you can it'll give you the telltale sign if you're hungry or not. And doctor, I just love that. I I think that is now embedded into my brain that I will be using that for the rest of my life. And I hope everyone listening will do the same. And and I even have a better one for you. So I have <laughs> patients that come in and say I eat vegetables all day. Doc, I don't know. I'm juicing. I don't know why am I gaining weight. And when I actually explain this to them, and I say eating vegetables, depending what vegetables, actually causes diabetes. I have two vegetarians and one vegan that's diabetic. And here's why. And I explain to them. I, they say, I don't eat any sweets, Doc. I don't eat any foods. I just eat vegetables. Why am I diabetic? Why am I gaining weight? And, and this is what I explain to them because it's hard for people to understand that eating vegetables does cause diabetes because most of the dextrose, which is glucose, which raises our blood sugar, is found in vegetables. And when we look at table sugar, which sucrose, table sugar, it's made up of fructose and glucose molecules, the disaccharide. And when I tell my patients, you know that sweet part that you taste when you're eating sweet? Yeah. And they said, yes. I'm like, that's the fructose. That's what they put into diabetic medication or diabetic candy or diabetic chocolates because it doesn't raise your blood sugar because it's got a sweet taste. And then I say, if you ever have, if you ever taste dextrose, there's no taste to it. It's not sweet. It's bland. It's actually, some of them have a bitter taste. And I said, guess where 100% of the dextrose is extracted when they make supplements, you know, dextrose supplements right. uh, for bodybuilders. Or I said, 100% beets. And then I said, beets, tomatoes, 
other vegetables. It's pure glucose. So when you're eating it, you're saying, oh my God, it doesn't taste sweet. But that's what's spiking your blood sugar. That's what's causing the weight gain. So my patients who are juicing, you're basically just consuming hundreds and hundreds of grams of pure glucose that's not sweet, that's going to raise your blood sugar, but you think you're doing something healthy for yourself. So it's it's about educating my patients and giving them the tools they need to be successful because, you know, you have you have Netflix specials like What the Health that's telling people that meat causes diabetes and you should eat more vegetables. That's not true. That's just self-promotion for their product. You know, I, 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 and my patients ask me, half of them are trying to turn vegan and they're becoming diabetic. And I'm like, look, it's not the case. You don't need to change your whole lifestyle. You're not going to die tomorrow by watching a one hour documentary. You know, it's <laughs> right. frustrating. Yeah, well, it is. And you know, the thing is that I've, uh, that I've learned that, uh, especially with vegetarians and vegans, that it's not just a science. It, there's an art to food combining. And a lot of people need to understand that if they're going to go that route, then they need to learn and understand the art of food combining so they can avoid those pitfalls that you're talking about. Exactly. You know, so now what do you think about, uh, now let's say uh, between vegetarian, vegan, and paleo, what what do you kind of lean towards? I I don't believe in paleo in the sense, here, think about it a lot. I always put everything in simple terms because patients like it, everybody likes it. it logically, they think about it. People who did the paleo back in those primitive times, they all died in their 20s. So when people say do the paleo, they, they didn't even survive to their 30s. How are we going to do a diet where everybody died by the time they're 24 <laughs> years old? So that automatically, that's to me, doesn't work. Two, vegetarian, veganism, I don't believe in that because I believe in lifestyle change. So right. what can I do to change? Because when a vegan, like I said this last time, when a vegan is eating, they're not dieting. They enjoy the foods they love. So I always tell my vegan patients, what if I gave you double hamburger, bacon, and cheese? I said, I would never eat that. But I said, but then you judge people who are overweight, and when you ask them to eat more, you know, Brussels sprouts or broccoli, they don't want to do it because you're not miserable. You enjoy the foods you you eat. It's a way of life for you. You're, that's how you that's, grew up. That, that's right. It is. And it's so a lifestyle I, change. Lifestyle change. So what I do is, and they've done studies on all these. All the publications are out there. Zone diet, ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting. Do all these diets work? That's the first question I ask. Yes. But they've tried all that. They've tried the bone broth diet. They've tried all these diets. But they're coming to see me because they don't need me to lose 20, 30 pounds. They can do one of these fat diets. They're coming to see me because that hasn't worked or they're not able to sustain it. So two questions I ask to all my patients. One, can you do this diet for the rest of your life? If the answer is no, Okay. Second question, would you give this diet to your child ever? They said no. Okay, well, you're doing a diet that you never give to your child to do, and then you're doing a diet that you're not going to do for the rest of your life. Because in your mind, once I say whether it's a diabetic diet, blood pressure diet, DASH diet, I say there's a beginning and there's an end. It's programming our brains. We're going to end. Okay, when do I need to finish this when I lose the weight? Versus saying, okay, what habits can I pick up? I'd rather you drink that water, but if you're drinking Coca-Cola and I switch it to Diet Coke, I'm happy. But eventually, over time, from what the studies have shown, lifestyle works. And then exercise from the studies show commitment to your lifestyle changes. And that, to me, patients lose 50, 60, 100 pounds, and guess what? They keep it off. That's the most important thing. Anybody can lose weight in 30 days, 50 pounds, 20 pounds, but are you able to keep it off? That That's that's the ultimate goal, and live the next 10, 20 years of your life keeping the weight off. Well, you know, that's kind of like my argument. You know, people say, well, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm like, okay, so uh, how long is this diet? And then once it's over, what are you going to eat? And they can't an- they can't answer the question. And I'm like, that's not what you need to be doing. And I agree with you, doctor, because it has to be a lifestyle change. 
it has to be a mindset change. It's kind of like, you know, we both know vegans and vegetarians. They they enjoy their lifestyle. They wake up in the morning. They don't think twice about it. They just do it. Well, that goes for the same person that that wakes up every morning, drives to a Starbucks, goes to Burger King at lunch, goes to KFC before they get home, and that's their lifestyle. They're used to that. They see nothing wrong with it. And for them to make the switch, let's say if it's vegetarian or anything in that type of category, it is a drastic lifestyle change that it's just a shock to them. And then that person views this whole thing as a diet, not as a lifestyle change. So a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to go out and eat a bunch of vegetables. But in their mind, they think of it as a temporary thing, not as a long-term lifestyle change. Exactly. And it's also, I can't tell people what to eat. I'd say, what type of foods do you want? Because everybody's culture is different. Like I had a patient, he had 10 stents, had cardiac bypass surgery. He lost 40 pounds with me in a couple months doing it the right way. And I said, why are you eating the foods you did? And he said, Dr. Fatikoff, I my dad came here from Cuba. We were poor there. So when he said we'd make it to America, we were going to eat well. So every night we had steak, potatoes, and rice for 12 years. He said, we had that for 12 years. He's like, I didn't know any better. I was just a baby and I grew up. But he's like, for 12 years, all I was eating was ribeye, rice, beans for 12 years because he never wanted to not have meat again because he was poor. And here he made it. So now you can imagine the person for 30 years of his life has been eating steak, potatoes, all the horrible things every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's the norm for him. That's his lifestyle. So to kind of change that and adapt it. Yeah, the heart attack didn't help, the stents didn't help, but you know, it's hard to change habits when they've been ingrained by your parents over 20, 30 years of culture. So kind of working with them and just adding lifestyle small changes, like drink more water, add more fiber. You know, I, I have this thing that I do for my patients. I don't know if you heard of it. You probably have. It's called NEAT, non, non-activity exercise thermogenesis. And these are patients who had heart attacks, who have exercise. So when they come into my office, they stand. And like, Doc, why am I standing? I'm like, you're burning calories. When you go to work, get one of those exercise balls and sit on it. When you go pick up the phone, when you have a phone call, walk back and forth. When you go to the parking lot, park in the very back and walk. And when they looked at the studies, they said that was actually more effective than a 60-minute aerobic exercise. So I said, you don't have to go home and go to the gym, you know, doing laundry. I said, you walk your dog. So he doesn't pay in the house, but you're not walking in because you're actually exercising. But little things like that they're doing throughout the day that are burning calories that promotes the thermogenesis, but it's non-activity. You're burning plenty of calories. Dude. You actually burn weight. 3,500 calories is a pound. You're burning a pound a week doing stuff that you're not thinking about, such as sitting in exercise balls, such as when you're picking up a phone, walking back and forth and talking, such as parking farther in the parking lot. Little tips, walking up the stairs, not taking the elevator. You, and then at the end of the day, when you're home and tired, you don't have to go to the gym for an hour and do an aerobic exercise. You, you've gotten it throughout the whole day. So, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head here. I mean, all this information that you're giving to us, doctor, is just spot on. And I think for everyone listening to this program today is going to learn a lot. And, you know, and, and this is something that I've always done when I lecture. And I tell people, ladies and gentlemen, it takes 3,500 to 3,600 calories to either gain a pound or to minus that out of your diet or to burn it, like you said, through exercise to lose a pound. And a lot of people don't realize if they get up every morning and they're going through a Starbucks drive through that's going to be at least 500 calories through the drive through window. That's a pound a week. If they just stopped it, 
they could end up losing 50 pounds over the year just by not going through that drive through And if they do, buy the water and buy nothing else. Yeah, well, not only the 50 pounds plus the money they'll save, a couple thousand dollars at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very true. They could actually buy a whole new wardrobe after that. Well, let me ask you something. What are the common roadblocks to weight loss? I honestly think it's education. People don't know what to believe. They, you know, they... They watch shows, they listen to the radio, everybody's got their own trend, everybody's got their own system, everybody's got their own thing, and they're just like, I don't know where to start, I don't know where to begin. So it's, I think the, the biggest roadblock is proper education and educating the patients and saying it's okay. Because people don't realize obesity became a disease 2013. It got passed through legislation, so it wasn't even recognized as an epidemic or actual, actual disease. So just kind of educating patients and people that it's a disease, it's a real thing, increased risk for heart disease. You know, the most preventable risk factor for heart disease used to be smoking. Now it's the second, according to the CDC. The first is obesity. So that's something you can prevent and just kind of educating the patients. The second roadblock is um, having, I think, more physicians treating weight loss versus, you know, just saying, okay, putting pills. Basically, the way I like to say, putting bandages on the patients. Just adding more bandages versus why don't we treat the root cause? I tell my patients, you have 20 medical problems. I said it's all related because you're overweight. You get rid of your weight. You don't need the knee replacement. You don't need the CPAP machine. You don't need the blood pressure. You don't need the cholesterol. You don't need the anxiety medication. You don't need the depression medication. You don't need, you know, you you don't need the liver problem. You, you don't have any of the problems if you just lose the weight. And then they're motivated because after that, if you start feeling good about yourself, you start looking good, it just motivates you to do more and then help other people. So I think education is the biggest roadblock. I think medications and lack of physicians, you know, I'm trained in this, so I know which medications to look out for, which medications cause weight gain. Most physicians aren't. They just know their specialty or they know the, I mean, there's a lot to know, but, you know, I specifically go out of my way to know which ones cause weight medications and what side effects they cause as opposed to other physicians just not being educated on it. And when they have good intentions, they're saying that you need to lose weight, they're, they're educating them, and then we need to have more education for physicians. I'm a di- I was a dietitian major in undergrad, so I have a nutritional background. I went to chiropractic school, but a lot of these physicians, I was in med school, we had six hours of nutrition. Six hours. How are you going to tell a patient how to lose weight <laughs> yeah, when exactly. you've only had six hours about, and what do you tell them? You need to walk, you need to exercise, well, and you need vegetables. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I mean, the patients know that. It's not rocket science to know that, but it's about educating them in a way to do it that, you know, that they're not miserable. Like an example I give to all my patients that walk in. I have a patient that loves chips. I tell her, you know, I, I can't, I, I need chips. I said, okay, when do you want eat chips? When I watch my favorite show, I said, put the chips in the kitchen. During commercial break or whenever you want, grab one chip, eat it, sit back down. Now, how many times do you think she's going to get up during her favorite show? maybe two, three, four times, and then she lays back down. But I never said no. Once you tell somebody no, you can't have this, you start restricting stuff, that's when it's just doomed for failure because at that point, you're taking something away that they enjoy. And so when I tell them, like, you tell your kids to clean your room, you'll get them ice cream. You're making them, you're giving them a reward for doing something. So I want you to get up, grab the chips. So, yeah, you'll eat the bag of chips, but in the process, you lost 20 calories, 30 calories. I'm happy, you know, and they're happy because they feel like they worked for it. Now, doctor, you are a breath of fresh air and i wish other uh, physicians would take the time to educate themselves as much as you have because you know we don't just have a obesity epidemic in this country we have a medication epidemic in this country and that medication even though it's being tried it's tried to be used for good 
it's actually leading to more disease problems that make it difficult for physicians to treat. Do you exactly. agree? And this is, I know I agree. And then most of it can be treated by preventative medicine, you know, functional root cause analysis. And But, it, you know, it, it's basically you have chronic medical problems, you give them chronic medications, and then that cycle continues for 30, 40 years. And I'm like, why are we... Why is it chronic? Who said it has to be chronic? No, we should be actively managing it, not following them up every three months, refilling their medications. How's everything going? Okay, your blood sugar's still not controlled. I'll see you back in three months. Get your eye screening. That, to me, I didn't go to medicine to do that. Like, I didn't go to medical school just to prescribe medications. And, you know, I went to heal people, to get them feeling better, to empower them. Not to mention the weight epidemic and pandemic now, because if you look at other countries, India, China, Russia, UK, all their body mass index have been increasing because of the foods they're eating. And that's raising risk for breast cancer, raising risk for bone cancer. I mean, you're just cancers are going up. Half the, half the knee surgeries in this country because of people who are overweight. I mean, think about when they talk about healthcare costs and savings. If we saved, if we were all had a BMI of 24, trust me, healthcare would not be as expensive as it is today. Well, I can tell you what, doctor, I want to thank you so much for all of this information that you have shared with us today. I want to thank you for coming on to Life Changing Wellness and just literally giving us a plethora of information that we literally can use right now. And ladies and gentlemen, remember to catch every episode of Life Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or on my show page at RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds, rate the podcast on iTunes. The reason being is we want to attract more people like you to the show. And the only way we can do that is if you rate it, leave a kind review so we can get more visibility. And again, I greatly appreciate it. So you can learn more about me at DrWardBond.com and check out my show page here at RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond, which will lead you to my other channels such as iTunes, iHeartRadio, and others. So thank you for listening to Life Changing Wellness. I'm Dr. Ward Bond. Have a healthy and blessed day.